Welcome to Cram Season, a podcast where I, a disheveled college student, attempts to explain things in 20 minutes or less. So today's theme is all about clubbing, woot woot. As a brief outline, we'll be covering the following topics in this sequence. Who is Freud and why do we talk about him? The levels and provinces of the mind, aka the most complex club in the world. Sex, drive and anxiety, the club essentials. The bar of defense mechanisms, aka how to drown your anxiety away. And finally, the drunk stages of development. So first up, who is Freud and why do we talk about him? Freud is like that guy in the club who starts a conversation about moment, but you welcome him because he's entertaining and somehow makes sense. In the same way, we still learn about Freud because some of his basic ideas were correct and formed the basis of later, more reliable theories. So, a French neurologist and a Viennese doctor taught him two important ideas. So, under the first, he learned how to use hypnosis to treat hysteria or the wrong way a body part was working. If you've seen Renaissance movies, it's like those scenes where the women just faints out of extreme emotional distress. This made him think that hysterical symptoms had a psychogenic cause or it's caused by the mind. Under the second person, the doctor, he learned about catharsis, which is the process of getting rid of hysteria symptoms by talking them out. This gave him the idea which replaced hypnosis and built to his later therapy method called free association, which basically involved a person just saying whatever was on their mind. So with these concepts, how did Freud gain fame and influence? Well, like most famous people out there, it was his charm. Freud's mastery of language allowed him to embellish his theories. Freud claimed this therapeutic approach could treat mankind's inborn loneliness, and it spread like wildfire thanks to ardent and dedicated followers who romanticized Freud as a lonely hero. And this lone hero divided the mind into three levels and provinces. Textbooks would disagree on technicalities, but for brevity, let's go with that. And as promised, there is clubbing in the most complex club in the world. So let us imagine for a moment. So let's say you have a plan. You go to the bar, you order all the sugar sunset margaritas that are only available in the VIP lounge. Right now, you're in the first province of the mind, the unconscious proper, where you line up for the club, aka the pre-conscious. You have two friends with you here, your id and your super ego. The id nudges you and say, hey, you know what? Let's just punch the bouncer in the face. Kick him in the balls, do anything, just to get that sweet sunset margarita. Thereby, trying to fulfill his pleasure principle. And then, superego hears about this and gains libido or motivation, which makes him tell you that, hey, you know what? We shouldn't even drink at all. Even after a long, exhausting day, what you should do is keep studying for the future. Thereby, he's abiding by his moralistic principle. And you know, neither of them are close to the truth. But they have some merit to them. That's where your last friend, Ego, pops in. 
Using the reality principle to guide him, he finds the middle ground and helps the group decide that everyone will wait in line but will get all the drinks that they deserve. And as you head up to the end of the line, you reach the pre-consciousness bouncer, also known as the main sensor. He's what stands between you from the unconscious area to the pre-conscious area, the club. If you were dangerous or seemed like you just, oh, I don't know, wanted to empty the sugar sunset margarita reserve, he wouldn't let you in. So you needed a disguise. So you said you just only wanted to get one drink. And of course, this type of thought process has a reason. The owners of the club were afraid of losing their sugar sunset reserve, causing anxiety within them and the club. And as a defense against anxiety, the bouncer is hired to repress the thoughts that cause trouble back into the alleys of the unconscious. Even though it may seem like you're up against the bouncer, everyone there is just wanting to have a good time, including yourself. And so by acting neutral, he lets you into the pre-conscious and you meet other people along the way. Not really bad, but not interesting either. They're basically like fleeting thoughts that come from the conscious perception. And you keep going because your goal is the VIP lounge, where the final bouncer or final sensor resides. He's your way to reach your conscious mind and do what you want. But going so far into this process and being veiled by that disguise, you've ended up convincing yourself that yeah, actually, I just do want one drink. And so, with that motivation, with that motif, the final sensor lets you in and you get just that one drink. Your true desires have been masked into something more acceptable. So now, your conscious mental structure acts out on your now controlled desire and your perceptual conscious system lets you enjoy sensory stimulation. Finally, a sugar sunset margarita. Next up is sex, drive, and anxiety. The club essentials. So let's talk about your two clubmates, the superego and the id. Technically, at most, they're like five years old because they grow from the ages one to five. So naturally, they are very immature. But for metaphor's sake, let's just keep them legal. So both of them are your hype bros the motivators of your life, but they also have their own motivations too. This is called instinct, and like most stereotypical frat bros, they're driven by three instincts, life or pleasure instinct, death instinct, and aggression or conquering instinct. However, most of their motivation comes from their life instincts, which helps them build libido or psychic energy. Think of it like a willpower energy drink. And eventually, all that pent-up energy must be released. And ideally, it should go somewhere that makes you happy, or at least less anxious. This act is called cathexis, the investment of psychic energy into an object or thing. And so, you and your bros cathected for that sugar sunset margarita that night. Then, if they found someone attractive during that night too, they cathected to them as well. Cathected. Weird word, I know. Now, as life is also related to pleasure, libido also boosts what 
people may or may not know as the sex drive. Freud popularized the term erogenous zones, which refers to pleasure zones outside the genitals. But Freud thought this desire, the sex drive, is selfish by nature. At first, this came out during birth as primary narcissism, which is linked to infant survival. This simmers down, goes away throughout childhood. However, it comes back during puberty as secondary narcissism, concerned now with your appearances and other self-interests. So, like when feelings develop and that person your bro connected to at the bar turns out to be a great partner, even though they both want affection for themselves, they can reach a level of self-love that isn't just me, me, me. And technically, Freud is harsh on mature relationships, but let's ignore that for this metaphor. So, after a weekend of clubbing and dating and dancing and sunset margaritas, we run into something we all fear, anxiety. And Freud said, we feel anxiety at birth. This is called prototype anxiety or birth trauma. Of course, this stems from being from the safety of the womb towards the worry-filled world. So the growing child encounters three forms of anxiety. First is neurotic anxiety, which comes from the ego fighting against the id impulses. Next is the moral anxiety, which comes from the ego trying to fight the super ego impulses. And finally, realistic anxiety, which comes from real life threats to survival. Which brings us to the bar of defense mechanisms, aka how to drown your anxiety away. These are basically mechanisms that people apply to themselves, or do rather, to just drown the anxiety away. And like a real bar, we have options, and all have different tastes and results. Please do note, as I don't drink, I can't say how these um, alcoholic drinks do coping mechanisms compare, really. So if you want to remedy this, comment down below. You can workshop it. So the first defense mechanism is repression, which is like beer. So like a bouncer, you push down the ugly thoughts down into your unconscious mind until they can no longer be felt. And like drowning in beer, eventually too much pushing and it gets too much. Next is denial, which is like hard cider. To deny is to act like the ugly thought doesn't even exist. Much like hard cider in a way that even if you try to hide your day drinking, people will eventually find out how much you drink. Next is reaction formation with margaritas. So to do this, you have to feel the opposite emotion, such as when you hate someone so much, you end up loving them instead, enemies to lovers if you will. And like a sweet sunset margarita, something doesn't always treat you nicely just because it looks nice. Next is projection, which is very much like tequila. This means putting the feeling on someone else or blaming them for it. In essence, I'm not angry even though you actually are. That guy is. And so you throw cautions and rules and technicalities into the wind, just like you would with tequila. Next is interjection, which is much like wine, red wine if you will. 
This means copying a successful person's good qualities to feel better about yourself. It's like wine in the way that it makes you look and feel sophisticated. But if you drink too much, you'll be like anyone else who gets drunk. Next is regression, which is much like butterbeer. This means acting like a child and pretending you're in a time when things were less stressful for you. Kind of like butterbeer in a way that if alcohol doesn't kill you, the sugar will. Next up is rationalization or fireball whiskey. This means reinterpreting behavior or the situation so it's less dangerous to your sense of self. When rejected, you may say, you know what, she wasn't even that pretty. And it's like fireball in the sense that the only burn you'll feel is in your heart, well, liver, if you keep dealing with rejection that way. Next is displacement, which is like Red Bull vodka. This means directing your negative id urges, like hating your parents towards someone else. This calls for a shot of Red Bull vodka in the way that, as if vodka wasn't enough, Red Bull will be there to give you the energy to keep convincing yourself. Next is fixation, much like a pina colada. The libido becomes permanently attached to something at this phase. For example, if you couldn't handle your issues in the oral stage, you may end up smoking, chewing gum, or biting your nails, and coincidentally also drinking. And so cheers to pina colada. In this one, you're already living your drunken paradise. And finally, sublimation, which is linked to water. There's a science pun in there. Anyway, this means turning sexual energy into something more socially acceptable or useful, such as art. And Freud thought this was healthy, so it's not surprising. Hence, good old H2O. Finally, we reach the drunk stages of development. This is best explained in theme with the stages of getting drunk. First, we have the oral stage, or the buzz. Like any drunk night, it begins with a drink. Similarly, a baby's mouth is the first organ to give them pleasure, hence the term oral stage. Babies eat with their mouths and enjoy the sucking process too. And Freudian psychology says that the goal of oral activity is to receive the object of choice, or the nipple. And during the oral receptive phase, babies know what makes them happy, and their needs are met quite easily much like the beginning of a Saturday night. Next is the anal stage, related to intoxication. So the sadistic drive is stronger than the erotic drive later in sexual development. Sadistic, by the way, for those who don't know, is um, implementing pain onto others. <laughs> so similarly, people lose their inhibitions and want to make regrettable mistakes for all really at this time. And at this stage, kids also become interested in their feces because defecating, according to Freud, becomes sexually enjoyable. And so, I also named it under intoxication for the pun, shit face. So, there's that. Next is the phallic stage, or the drunk stage. Drunkenness is marked by confusion, and boy, this one is a doozy. This is the famous uh, section of Freud's concept doctrine, I guess. 
wherein the child becomes aware of sex differences during the phallic stage and this causes erotic attraction to their opposite sex parents and resentment, jealousy, and fear towards their same-sex parent, which Freud called the Oedipus complex in boys and the Electra complex in girls. Next is latency or stupor. Now stupor refers to someone who is stiff, silent, and only seems aware, that type of drunk stage. And Freud believed that boys and girls go through a dormant psychosexual period from the fourth or fifth year until puberty. But if you've ever seen someone in this state, you know that they're not fine just because they look fine. The sexual drive is still there during latency, but it's weaker because the parents are trying to stop it and so the suppressed libido manifests into social and cultural achievements instead. And finally, we're in the genital stage, or the coma stage. At last, they've passed out. This is when puberty happens, and sexual desire returns, and the genital period begins. During this time, their sexual energy has focused elsewhere, usually to another person. In the same way, someone who is blacked out is not really in their head anymore. During adolescence, the sexual drive as a whole becomes more organized, and the parts that had worked separately when the person was still young merge into one, like the Power Rangers uniting. And so, the mouth, oral, anus, anal, and other erogenous areas take the back seat to the genitals. And finally, in terms of maturity, too many people have pathological disorders or neurotic tendencies, making that type of maturity difficult. Freud did mention the stage of psychological maturity when a person had gone through all the earlier stages of development in an ideal way, but sadly he never got to fully explain it. And so ultimately Freud has left us in the dark with more questions than answers. In conclusion, we talked about the biography of Freud, the provinces and levels of the mind, sex, drive, and anxiety, defense mechanisms, and the stages of development. If you want to further look into this topic, you can delve deeper into the stages of development, in what, which age they exactly occur, um, the works of Anna Freud, and from any other more qualified person. So this is like the end of the podcast section and this is like my ranting period so you can leave me now if you want. Just like the after hours. Ooh, that's fun. And I just wanted to just thank you guys for listening to the first episode of Cram Season. This isn't really meant to be super serious. It's just learning through metaphors and fun similes and stuff us to feel like what we study isn't so hardcore in a way so yeah i mean if you like it like it please review whatever you think about it comment rate whatever really i it's my first time making a podcast so there's a lot of kinks (laughs) to be just hammered out and i hope just enjoyed it so far and i hope that i'll continue to improve so yeah i appreciate you for taking the time to make this a part of your day and hopefully i see you soon